Ontario promised to be accessible by 2025, and this was all the way back in 2005. The plan was to break down barriers for people living with disabilities from getting their health card, for instance, to going shopping. So this entire block uh, would be considered not accessible on access now. So there's like two steps, three steps. So these are all pretty challenging places. Most of these places would be rated not accessible. Because it's not that people like me don't exist, guys. So why don't we read about successful entrepreneurs with disabilities who've IPO'd? We're scientists who've made major breakthroughs. We're public policy leaders with disabilities. And so I recognize that this needs to change. Welcome to the fourth season of Courage Incorporated. Join me as we hear courageous and powerful voices who have the incredible task of directing the future with courage. I'm your host, Duncan Sinclair. New findings from the 2022 Canadian Survey on Disability showed that 8 million people, 15 years and older, had one or more disabilities that limited them in their daily activities. Our guest today is an award-winning photographer, activist, and entrepreneur. Her goal is to empower people who are disabled to discover a world of accessible opportunities and remove barriers. Mayan Ziv is the CEO and founder of Access Now. Welcome to Courage Incorporated, Mayan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Duncan. Nice to be here. Mayan, your photography career has given you exposure to famous personalities and extraordinary scenes. Can you describe for your listeners what inspires you in your art as a photographer? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love meeting people with stories. And I think for me, photography, um, you know, it started when I was in my teens, it became a way for me to develop a really interesting connection with people by having a chance to capture, you know, even just a moment of their truth. But I also learned in the process that it also became a, an opportunity for me to tell my story to share a perspective on the way that I see the world and the way that I, I approach experiences and, and settings. And as a person who, who uses a wheelchair, you know, even just my vantage point was often different than people that I would engage with. So it gave me a chance to show people rather than tell them just as a, even a sliver of what uh, life from, from my perspective was like. Well, Mayan, you, you've you've raised it. So, can I just ask, as a person who uses a wheelchair, can you share the unique way that that extends your abilities more broadly? And when that extension meets its limits, how have those challenges presented themselves to you over your your life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a really interesting way that you've asked the question, Duncan. I I haven't really known any other kind of way of living. I. I was born with my disability and, and throughout my life, I've used uh, a wheelchair, whether it was a manual wheelchair or a power wheelchair. Now, um, this is kind of all I've ever known. Um, and although when I was younger, I was kind of presented with a view of the world in which, you know, I was basically told by, you know, doctors or or other folks who were part of my, my care team that... I was the one who was going to need extra help, and I was the one who needed to figure out how to fit into a world um, very much designed for non-disabled people. I kind of, you know, in my late teens and early 20s, 
started uh, really challenging that assumption. <laughs> I, I didn't truly understand why I was being positioned as the one who was quote unquote broken or needed fixing uh, because I didn't feel that way. I, I felt uh, completely capable and I'm very opinionated <laughs> and, and I, and I wanted to be able to articulate to people that what, what many might've assumed would be a deficit of, of not being able to walk. Um, for me, you know, living with disability has taught me a lot of different types of skills. I've learned about problem solving and creativity and innovation and, because I'm showing up in, in spaces and environments that are not initially just easy for me to work through, I've had to figure out how to do it anyway. And and that is actually a skill that, you know, when you talk about entrepreneurship, uh, I've been learning about the skills associated with entrepreneurship since maybe I was about six years old and I wanted to do something and people told me, no, or you can't. And I, and I said, well, why not? Let's figure it out anyway. So, so Maya, what does accessibility mean to you? I think, you know, throughout my life, I've, I've, I've benefited from all kinds of accessibility from, you know, physical spaces being designed more inclusively to, to ensure that I could navigate with my wheelchair to, to products and services, you know, incorporating more inclusive design, um, to me, accessibility is manifested as, as kind of like a vehicle uh, to ensure that people can reach their full potential without friction. It's, an, it's, a, it's a vehicle for empowerment. And I think often people consider accessibility, those who definitely are not familiar with it anyway, as kind of being like this um, compliance mechanism or like this grab bar that they see in a bathroom but uh, it, it's not really for me at all about the concrete fix or the afterthought or the retrofit. Uh, accessibility, when you approach it from the very beginning of any ideation or design phase, whether you're making something, talking to someone, you know, it, it planning it, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Accessibility, when 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 you learn about it and apply some of the themes and tools associated with it can really be a vehicle for inclusion and innovation. So, Mayan, in June of 2018, the government of Canada introduced Bill C-81, the Accessible Canada Act. And as I, as I read three years later, your barrier-free travel experience was challenged and you were not alone in that experience. What could the people at the Canada Transportation Agency do to better regulate air travel for those who require mobility aids and more assistance? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> I, you know, so I, I love to travel. It's one of the many reasons that Access Now um, has been such a passion uh, uh, of mine. And, and, and one of the reasons I launched the company in the first place is to empower people with disabilities to experience the world, to explore new places. And one of the ways you do that is by traveling. Uh, you know, you get on a plane if you are fortunate enough and, uh, and, and have the ability to do so and you discover a new place uh, and, and meet new people and also understand your relationship to, to your environment. Uh, you know, go, going beyond your, the safety net of your community teaches you a lot about yourself and, and the planet. 
Uh, and I think, you know, again, this concept of accessibility, every other mode of transportation has had to consider the needs and experiences of people with disabilities. I can get on any type of transit. I can, you know, take a ferry or a taxi or, or a bus or a train. And I am never um, in a position where my independence, my health, my well-being is compromised because I need to travel. But unfortunately, air travel is not there yet. And they're one of the last industries, if not the last industry, to have to wake up to the reality that, you know, up to 26% of the population experiences disability and and we're not going anywhere. <laughs> and we deserve equitable travel opportunities. And, you know, whether it's for, for pleasure, for business or, or for medical reasons, um, we need to work towards equitable air travel or rights on flights is, is kind of the, the, the effort um, that, that's kind of happening right now. And I think, you know, in Canada, we have a unique opportunity in that we are designing new standards with the onset of the ACA, Accessible Canada Act, that other countries, you know, are not in that position. We've got the resources, the frameworks, the teams, the tools to thoughtfully consider how we are going to include disabled citizens and, and, and visitors. So for me, it's not about an afterthought. It's about thinking throughout the holistic journey and ensuring that no person has to ever feel that they have to apologize for who they are, but that we can proactively ensure that all parties accountable are holding themselves to a level of service that any non-disabled person would expect as well. And for me, that's really the, the opportunity we have is to create much more equitable opportunities. Because I can tell you, it's devastating what, what we're seeing. And, and it's been going on for far too long where people's health, their mobility, both physically and mentally, is challenged and often extremely compromised when they have to transfer out of their mobility device. Some cannot even do that. Or even just the way that they're spoken to within, you know, an airport by people who assume things about who they are, what they're capable of, just simply because they have a disability. And I guess the, re the reality is, as you've indicated, this notion of equitable spaces isn't just an issue of transportation and flight. And you've been doing a lot to, to connect people, to create more inclusive spaces everywhere in society beyond travel. I mean, countertop heights, how restaurants are designed, online experiences, day-to-day -day navigating through cities. So can you just tell us more about Access Now and what you focus on and where you see that going? As I mentioned, you're, and you're right, it, it's so much beyond just air travel or, or transportation. Uh, we, I, I, I just hunger for a day where every single space uh, is open and welcoming and inviting to all people, regardless of who they are or how they think or move through the world. And, and, and for me, Access Now was a person, and initially, a personal response to that desire to feel included and welcome and find a space of belonging. And I did that by sharing information about accessibility of places so that we could start to make informed decisions about where people with disabilities are going to take their money and their their patronage or or 
or what spaces they're going to choose to engage in and not feel um, helpless or we're literally, you know, uh, problem solving outside a space that isn't accessible. We have, and, and really it's about empowerment and freedom of choice. So for me, you know, Access Now, as we've gone from sharing information about the accessibility of spaces in Toronto, where we launched, we've now grown to be uh, a platform that is vocalizing the experiences of people with and without disabilities who work together to highlight accessibility of places all around the world. And not just uh, engaging citizens, but also business owners and, and governments to be part of the solution to create the transparency and the data so that we can also use that data to make better decisions today and, and better plans for tomorrow. How to remove those barriers and create new spaces that are far more inclusive than they are today. Well, and I think that's one of the things that's really powerful about Access Now, as I've read more about it, is that you are you are really thoughtful about how you're connecting what you're trying to achieve into a much broader network of people who can all collaborate and really be agents of change together. And I've read about this idea of map missions and, and your work around building partnerships. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, map missions are... A lot of fun, <laughs> uh, because for me, I think the one of the interesting ripple effects of Access Now is that we we're very much rooted in in action and measurable impact. We're not out to create, you know, um, awareness campaigns, although they are important. But we wanted to flip the model on its on its head and say, let's start by doing, and 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 let's see how far that takes us in educating people about why they should as well. And so initially, Map Missions was a way for us to start mapping spaces. And we did that by basically creating events in, in real time um, in, 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 in physical spaces that we thought were important. So we'd pick, you know, a certain neighborhood in Toronto or uh, a school campus, and we would invite friends and family members to join us in mapping the neighborhood you know, over the course of, it could be anywhere between 20 minutes and a few hours, depending on people's ambition for the day. And in doing that, we also made new friends and invited allies to to join us and learn about the the elements of accessibility that often people in their own neighborhoods weren't considering, or employees to, you know, cross the street from their, their office and realize that the coffee shop that they love to frequent uh, actually has a step at the entrance. And so, Asking people just to to put on uh, a lens of accessibility for a short period of time not only helped us to map spaces, but it helped us to invite others to be part of that movement and, and inspire them to realize that they can be agents of change. And it's as simple as sharing information about spaces that you experience. So, so that's what we've done. Map missions are basically like accessibility scavenger hunts and educational opportunities. and We've, we've grown them all over the world now. We've had people, you know, whether it be school groups or, or corporates or uh, sometimes we just run our own local ones. Um, we're actually gearing up to, to launch our first ever national map mission. So we'll be inviting Canadians across the country to join us on one day uh, to, to map everywhere in their own communities. And it's a really uh, inspiring experience to be part of something where you realize that the power of the collective 
is is truly something that can break down barriers in ways that often when you're an individual experiencing an element of exclusion, you feel alone in that experience. You feel isolated. I know I have. So when we work together and we create these moments, it's really feels like there's a lot of opportunity and promise to, to make real change. That's particularly important as you think about our country, you think about different seasons of the year, you think about, you know, how do people deal with accessibility in periods when you've got, you know, different you know climate conditions. I remember as a younger person, you know, cities would plow the streets and you'd have these large berms of snow and people would say, well, how do we get across this? And the answer is, we'll just climb over it. Now, and, and I happened to go to school with a, a young woman who was uh, in a wheelchair. And, you know, her comment was, and how do you propose I do that? And that was sort of my first lived experience back in the 70s of, you know, that, yes, there's a, a vehicle to transport me to and from school. That's great. How do you suppose I get out of it and get into the building? And this, to me, I think is for so many people, it's not intentional. And I think that's one of the things that's so important about what you do. It's not that people deliberately intend to do this. It's just they don't think about it because it's not their reality. And I think what the work you're doing to try to help to open this up to all of us and expose us to, we have a shared reality as citizens. And if we're all going to be included together, I have to better appreciate your reality and you're open to wanting to appreciate mine. And together, we're going to make a better country. And I think that's what is so important. And, then, and I'd also say, Duncan, you know, also recognizing that, that disability reflects the diversity of, of all human experiences. You know, that we are the, the only kind of marginalized group, the largest in the world, that anyone can join at any time. Uh, you, can, you can join for a few days. You can join for a lifetime. You can be born into disability. You can acquire disability with age. And at some point in your life, you will experience disability. And that, for many people, is a scary thing, but it doesn't have to be. Because there are, you know, as I mentioned, many gifts and opportunities that disability can offer us. And until we have those shared experiences where people are brought into this way of thinking, it remains othered. And, and we don't get to any type of uh, tangible inclusion if we stay in those spaces. No, I, I was in an accident in 2017 in Venice where I ended up with a broken neck. And so I was restricted in my movement for 104 days while my neck healed. And so to your point of you never know when a, a family vacation suddenly becomes a whole new way of experiencing life and how accessible and inaccessible things are in Europe. And then you come back to Canada and you see what's accessible and what isn't accessible here and, and you work your way through it. And just the awkwardness of people, even in my own neighborhood, seeing me trying to get out and get some fresh air and not knowing how to respond to seeing me in a different way. And I think this is where opening up our society to more honest conversation, more honest appreciation of the gifts that all citizens can offer is, is so important. And I think it's such a wonderful part of what Access Now does. So organizations are ramping up to ensure compliance with the Accessible Canada Act. It is essentially calls for a barrier-free environment by 2040. It's a bold ambition. What considerations and resources do you suggest are really going to be needed to actually achieve that aspiration? I think the first one, and it's one we've been kind of speaking about, is education. I think that uh, it's one thing to set a, a goal uh, or to have a target date, uh, to have rules and laws in place. But until people understand why 
uh, or what or how uh, these things manifest and why they're important, and that you know, including people with disabilities in the solutioning as just one example of, of the many things that people um, need to have an opportunity to learn, really helps create the the proper motivation for people to ensure that this doesn't become something that you put at the end of an agenda and hope that maybe you get to, but can become central to the way that organizations operate. Uh, and, and, you know, here in, in Ontario, we're already seeing the consequences of not doing that. There were goals set here under the provincial law that, you know, that the province is, is not going to meet now. Uh, and so it starts with the education but also the commitment to including people with disabilities in every step of the way uh, and, and, and allocating the proper resources because accessibility, when invested in properly, can be n- not just a, a humanitarian effort or you know, a, a legal compliance one, but also an economic driver. And I think many organizations and companies don't yet connect those dots. They don't yet realize that when you invest in accessibility, there is a return, uh, that we are a huge market, you know, equivalent to the size of China, <laughs> that, that, that when you invite us into your, your business, um, we are patrons, uh, not to be accommodated, but to, to experience the same customer service as any other would. So, so those are the types of early conversations that I think organizations need to be having now to help inform the decisions, the planning, uh, all the way until we get to that, you know, ideal 2040 milestone. Well, and and I think part of your comment about organizations, as you know, there's a a group in Canada, I, I will acknowledge I'm a part of it called A Seat at a Table, which was really all about saying, how did we get people with disability more entrenched into the boardrooms of corporate Canada? How did we create awareness of talent? How did we help people to develop additional skill sets so that they were, you know, well positioned to be placed into corporate boards? Because to your point, starting right at the top of the organization, both in how it's governed and how it's led and how it thinks about its long-term future, that's where the alignment to why this is so important, I think, is, is is one of many aspects of what needs to happen to create a more inclusive society. And I entirely respect your point about patrons. I also would suggest the, the, the critical role of talent in all organizations and the incredibly talented people that, you know, when they're given uh, an appropriate work environment to really release all of their energy and all of their capability, you know, are able to create wonderful contributions across our country in many different, different workplaces. And so I think it is, again, all about how we create a better country that we fully unlock all of the potential of everyone. That's what's so wonderful about what you and your organization of Access Now are trying to do and why it's so important for all of us to continue to both understand and be supportive and contribute in ways that are meaningful. And so again, I really appreciate your time today, Maya. It's been just a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much, Duncan. And thank you for all your your leadership and allyship in the space. I mean, I couldn't have said it any better. Mayan, thank you for your time today and the insights you shared. Mayan Ziv is a photographer, activist, and founder and CEO of Access Now. I'm your host, Duncan Sinclair. This podcast is a production of the Walrus Lab. 
thanks to our producer, Camille Hemming, and our team here at Deloitte. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And tune in again soon to meet our next Courageous Leader.